Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Andy Johnson, and I'm your missions minister. And this morning, I have the privilege of getting to to talk to you for a moment. Uh, Now, one of the things that I decided a long time ago was that on those rare occasions where Buddy trusts me to to step up here and and to say something to you guys, that that I would always do my best to say yes. Anytime he asked, I would I would try to say yes if at all possible. And I always try to to preach into whatever else he's already got going, whatever sermon series he's got cooking, to try to just to just step into that. But for the first time ever, Buddy told me that he was going to be in between series. And when I asked him what to talk about, he said, you can talk about whatever you want to. He pretty quickly clarified he didn't actually mean that. He forgot for a moment to whom he was speaking. Uh, but then he did go on and he did say, I want you to talk about things from your heart because, and imagine dramatic Buddy saying this, it's going to be your swan song. Now, I'm not actually sure what a swan song is, but I would like to bring to you today and ask you to consider the things that I'm saying to you today to be my efforts to sing like a swan. And I know we'll all be happy if I just manage to hit ugly duckling. That'll be good. All right, now to help you understand what I'm going to bring to you today, I need to tell you a brief story. Uh, When we as a church were trying to find a way that we as a church family could partner with some other parts of God's family on this globe in responsible, God-honoring, certainly not landmark-honoring, just God-honoring short-term missions trips, uh, we wanted to check out a place called the 410 Bridge, and their offices are outside of Atlanta. So one day, a number of us took a field trip, and we went up there and we visited, and when we we came back to the office, Miss Gail met us at the door, and she asked how it went. And Nathan responded... It was one of the weirdest experiences of my life. In that space, Andy was the normal one. I know. Everyone talked like him, and they really seemed to somehow think like him. And, and the truth was, Nathan, Nathan just wasn't a, a, accustomed to that kind of thing. Now, you have to remember who Nathan is and, and take that with the grain of salt that's appropriate to it. Uh, but there are some quirky things about people like me, um, some of which, though most definitely not all, are related to having spent 13 years living on the mission field. So today, as one of our our Real Talk sermon series, I want to speak with you about the missionary heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus told us to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbors with all those things together. And so I want to talk to you about some of the ways that missionaries do that, and hopefully it's going to help you understand the people that you've sent a little better, but it's also going to hopefully maximize the benefit of being a sending church because this whole missionary thing works best. It's intended to be a two-way street of blessing. So that's what we're going to be shooting for this morning. Let's stop and ask the Lord to let us hit it. Our Father, we give you thanks that you've given us, like Trey referenced, a spectacular February morning. Uh, We thank you for the worship that our praise team led us in. We thank you for our time around the table. And now, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak in this moment. Uh, that you would speak through the words that I've prepared. And if there's anything I've prepared that's not in line with your will or that you intend to say something else today, God, then just change it. Pray these things in Jesus. Amen. Now, as I was sharing my thoughts for this week with a good friend, the guy that I, the guy that I really love and really trust, I was actually really surprised by the, by the pushback that I received from him. He asked, um, in a slightly gentler way than I'm phrasing it, why should we care? When are we going to have the heart and mind, soul and strength of a, of a teacher or a, a minister or a lawyer sermon? When are we going to get that one? Why do we do so much for missionaries that we don't do for other people? Well, first of all, I would argue the point that the typical missionary experience is a church that does so much for them. 
It's an unfortunate thing that there are so many missionaries who've been sent out by churches that barely remember their names, certainly don't remember the name of the place they serve, much less are going to take a whole Sunday morning to try and understand their missionaries better. Uh, and, but after we jostled around for a bit, I settled on three reasons why we ought to care, why we ought to do so much for them. Uh, number one, your missionaries answered a call. At some point, they were called by God, or they saw a need that they thought that they could address, or somebody saw something in them and said, I think you could do this, or, or, or most likely, some combination of the three, but they received that call, and they went. And not everyone does. And as those who have sent them to go and accomplish that, we honor that calling, both for what they've done and what they're doing, as well as in the hopes that it will, it will help to rise up the next generation of people who follow calls like that. Now, I don't think you can talk about following a call and serving without your mind going to our armed forces. The truth is there's a number of ways that our government spends our money that I'm not a big fan of. But doing our best to take care of those who have answered a call to serve our country something I wholeheartedly want to see more of. My kids get to see me greet service women and service men whenever I see them in uniform. They, um, they see me try to remember to pray every time I drive by the VA on my way to Elijah's soccer practice to remember to pray for our, our soldiers. They've answered a call. It's a call that we've all received, but that most of us declined. And therefore, those soldiers have earned our honor. Missionaries sent from churches in much the same way have earned it too. They're not going to stump for it. They're not going to, and in fact, if we try to give them that, they're probably going to dodge it and put it off. But we ought to honor the fact that these men and women have answered a call. Number two, we have one too. We have a calling also. We spoke a few weeks ago about how this whole missionary thing can really be summed up in three words. Everybody either needs to go, to send, or if we don't do either of those, we're disobeying. Our missionaries that have been sent out from us go and do with everything they've got into the best of their God-given abilities. And those of us who've chosen to stay ought to do that with everything we've got into the best of our God-given abilities. And that includes understanding those that we've sent. So let me pause right here and thank you just once again. I was hoping to have this chance to just say thank you once again for the ways that you as a church responded financially on Mission Sunday. Uh, to have already hit our goal uh, between cash on hand and pledges that have been made is a, it's just a remarkable thing. And it speaks a great deal. Amen. Yeah, that's worth clapping for. That's why you always co-lead life groups so that your life group leader that you lead with will start clapping in your sermon. Uh, it speaks to your heart. It speaks to your growth as a family and generosity, which is something your elders have really pushed you on the last year or two. And you're responding. Uh, and I think it also speaks to your belief in what God's doing through your missionaries. Now, some of my coworkers that I am blessed to get to be around in the office pointed out that in 2018, when you thought I was going to spend all the money, uh, you fell about 35 or 40% short. But then once I announced that I'm leaving, well, I'm just going to say I disagree with their logic. I think it's faulty reasoning, and instead I'm choosing to believe that it means you're excited about the future and about what God has in store for this church, and that your church leadership, particularly your MVT, better get on the stick about praying and dreaming about where God is taking this family and missions. Number three, we ought to care about our missionaries and try to understand them better because it's what churches do. The church at Antioch is known for a few firsts. It's a perk of being one of the first churches ever. It's where believers were first known as Christians, which is a really cool thing to be able to say. But I think it's also the first missionary sending church. And I want to read you about that experience. 
Now, this comes from the book of Acts, which is actually the fifth book in our New Testament. The first four books tell the stories about Jesus. And then book five comes along, and we call it the Acts of the Apostles, because in a large part, it's telling us what Jesus' followers did in the aftermath of Jesus' life. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. I'm going to read you the first four verses. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a, long, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and a guy named Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying again, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed onward from there. Now there's a few things that I think are in this passage that we really need to pay attention to. First of all, the leaders were involved in this. They were praying and they were fasting. And in that moment, uh, they were involved in that. Now, now one of the things I noticed is that we had a guy named Menaean in there who actually grew up with King Herod. I mean, that, that, that's a guy with some money. And we had the prophets and the leaders of the church that were involved in this. They listened to the Holy Spirit. They received a very clear message and they did it. They, they, they didn't argue. They just responded and they did it. Now, with some more fasting and some more praying, they sent them off. And I want you to hear again how these verses connect to each other. Fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. They sent them off. They sent them off. So being sent out by whom? By the Holy Spirit. They were walking so in step with the Holy Spirit that they reached this point where we could say they sent them off and the Holy Spirit in the same breath. What a beautiful place when the church reaches that point where their leaders are so in step with the Holy Spirit that whether we're sending them ourselves or we're sending them out by the Spirit, it means the same thing. Just what a beautiful thing. And I think that got confirmed by the great stuff that they went out and did. Uh, Along this missionary journey, they confronted some magicians. They preached some really cool Old Testament-based sermons. They had some successes. They got run out of a town, but as they were leaving, everybody saw the Spirit anyway, and they rejoiced. Uh, At one time, they got confused as Greek gods, which in the mission world we call a fail. Uh... The goal is not to be misconceived, not to be seen as the pagan deities you're preaching against. Uh, By the way, that's never actually happened to me. I've never been confused for a Greek god. I'm no Jeremy Swindle. Um, Now, we actually, we don't actually hear about Antioch again uh, until a little bit farther on. We hear that there were some people who went out from Antioch and they did not go with care packages or trunks full of the stuff to make queso. Instead, They went and they stoned Paul. They left him for dead. That's the kind of support they got from some people in Antioch. Uh, And then we finally come to what I actually think. Well, let's just read about it. It's in verse 21 of chapter 14. When they, Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to to that city, Derbe, they made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and eventually to, here we are again, Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I think what we're seeing here is the very first furlough. They've come back through on their journey. They're not done yet. And they stop and they strengthen souls. They encourage them. They they tell them that Sometimes persecution is how we enter into the kingdom. And then they turn the tables, this beautiful turning of the tables that happens because the church had laid hands and prayed for them and sent them out. And now on furlough, the missionaries 
Pray for them. Just, just what a blessing that church received for being willing to send. What value was added. And it's the same kind of thing that we get when, when we get to put several of our missionaries on stage on Mission Sunday and hear talk about the things that they're learning from being persecuted, being with brothers and sisters who make a real sacrifice to become a Christian. But let's wrap this up. Let's wrap up this first missionary journey. It continues in verse 26. From there, after a few more adventures, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they'd fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. They're back. They finished what they were done to do, what they'd been sent to do, and they came back and, and they celebrated what God had done. And the church hosted them and, and learned from them. And I don't want you to miss this. This is really important. Those missionaries and that church that sent them were then equipped to move into the main theological controversy facing the early church, an issue of basic identity for the people of God. The group discernment that happens in the following chapter in Acts, in Acts 15, that led to a richer understanding of the grace of God for all the nations, not just the Jewish nation, but for all the Jewish nations, happened in part because of the experiences those missionaries had and what they brought back to the church. We know from earlier in 14, those people that went out and tried to stone Paul, that that they definitely could have pulled the church in a different direction. But I don't believe it is an overstatement to say that the gates of the church were thrown wide open to to the Gentiles in at least small part because the Antioch church was used by God to send missionaries and then listen to them when they came back. And that, my friends, is why we care. That's why we send. We will be better equipped to face our own ever-evolving world when we give ear to and we try to understand those who have ventured out into it. We're going to be better equipped for it. So right now, I'm just going to move past this, having established sort of a foundation for why we should bother caring about our missionaries. And I'm going to just talk a little bit about what makes your missionaries tick. You see, hitting our budget is a great thing. It's a wonderful goal, but really that's kind of Landmark Missions 101. Let's step it up. Let's take it to the next level and let's learn more about our missionaries so that we can do better at that and hopefully a whole lot of other things that we learn in the process. All right, so we're going to begin by understanding their heart. Now, all of these categories, heart, mind, soul, strength, all of these came from when Jesus was telling us to love God and love people. And so I think it's fitting that with the heart, the main conversation centers around the love that you have for the people. I want to tell you that I am a different person for having loved and been loved by people in different places on this globe. Some of my very best friends in the world don't speak a lick of English, and they really have no desire to even learn it. In a lot of respects, the people who who know me best, with whom I have the most history for sure, live in Burkina Bay villages. These are the people that walked with me as I turned the corner into adulthood out of grad school. They're the ones who struggled along with me and my bride through many miscarriages and infertility struggles. They're the ones who rejoiced with me when God gave us three, year, God gave us three kids in three years. They're the ones who joined with me in praying that those same floodgates would shut. Uh, I learned from them. I learned from them about, from these ex-pagans, what grace really looks like. These were the friends, get this, these are the friends that during a period of political unrest in Burkina Faso told me that if things went bad and if something ever happened to me, they'd make sure my wife and kids were safe. Now, on the other hand, I like to say that I do have a peculiar patriotism. I grew up 
right outside Shepherd Air Force Base in North Texas in a church that was just full of pilots, stopping in and out, getting trained. I came to love the Blue Angels as a little guy. I tear up at the singing of the national anthem. My passport really matters to me, particularly when I'm outside of these borders. I've seen a lot of places in this world, and I'm really glad to be an American. But I've also got two sons born on Burkina Bay soil. And I've got a daughter that kind of wishes she had been. I care deeply about what happens in Burkina Faso. And it breaks my heart that terrorism rocks that country on average once a week. But no one in the American media cares enough to mention it. Now, most of the time, these two patriotisms of mine don't really come into conflict with each other. Uh, The countries just don't talk a lot about each other. There are some rare occasions when the leader of one uh, uses a vulgar term to refer to the people of another. But a lot of our missionaries sent from this church struggle with this on an even more regular basis. I want you to think about live and serve in two countries that are very often at odds with the United States. Consider for a moment how it must be such a challenge for them to hear their friends, their neighbors, their brothers and sisters in Christ, in this case, his wife and children, spoken of so disparagingly in the media. But for the missionary heart, though, it runs a whole lot deeper than just politics. I want you to listen to this quote from My heart is in two different countries. I feel at home in neither, which makes my soul long for heaven. Peculiar patriotism is such because he understands that his real allegiance is to another kingdom, a greater kingdom. Those people who are loved and who love different countries and people and languages and cultures over time develop an even deeper love for the God who made them all and a desire to be where his rule is already recognized and they're working just as hard as they can to make it on earth like it already is in heaven. One of the things they can bring to the sending church is this understanding that we're not earthly creatures just dragging around our chains trying to scrape our way into heaven. We are sons and daughters of a king of a greater kingdom who are walking toward it and trying to bring as much company along for the walk as possible. That's something our missionaries bring to us. Secondly, I want to talk to you about the missionary mind. This is some of the fun stuff where I get to tell some of the goofy stories about myself and some of my other missionary friends and where you can hopefully begin to understand just why we are the way we are and how you can bring a blessing to us. To begin with, let's go back to another quote from him this week. He wrote, we have to be a little bit off to do what we do, and that's okay. And I love that Landmark loves that that's okay. This is one of the ways that you church already have a leg up on a lot of other mission-sending churches. The Landmark family, and I hope most of you here today have begun to experience this, embraces the things that make each of us us. It recognizes that God made every one of us individuals and it tries to love us. We try to love each other in all of our quirkiness. And that love and that grace extends to your missionaries and I want to commend you for it. Now this weirdness, this is something that I have felt on a number of occasions. Uh, Going back to when we first moved here, believe it or not, when we first moved here, I tried to buy a suit. I really did. I, I, I was going to be a minister in the deep south, and as part of my language and culture learning, I thought, I need to own a suit. So people told me the one place a missions minister can afford a suit is that discount Dillard store in the mall. So I walked in, and I tried. I really did. I tried hard. But I was just overwhelmed by the, by the volume and the choices and the, and the loudness of the store and the people, and, and I just panicked. I, I couldn't understand why every pair of pants I pulled on was nine inches too long. It just didn't make sense. And so... I panicked and I left and I pulled out my flip phone 
And I called Melissa and said, babe, I'm outside the store, finish up. I can't do this right now. Uh, evidently, the, the cross-cultural stresses of shopping at Dillard's don't affect missionary women as much. Now, you've probably noticed your missionaries eat differently. Sometimes they talk differently. They probably spend their money differently. They watch football differently, or maybe they even watch a different kind of football. And sometimes they worship and they pray differently. And why are they this way? Well, to help you understand, I want to tell you a story about shapes. I want you to imagine that you're born into the land of triangles. Uh, Let's go ahead and put this picture up here. Here's a picture of triangle land. You're born a triangle and you live among the triangles and you move around with the triangles and life's fine. But then one of these days, God puts this call on your heart and you get on a plane and you fly your triangle self over to the land of circles. And all of a sudden, the stuff that makes you you, the the rhythms of your life, the way you move, it just feels sharp and pointy and, and, and you're, you're there to try to love and to show love, but everything you do, you're, you're just stepping on toes and you're poking into people. Your triangleness is, is, is really a, a burden on the circles around you in some respects. And you can't understand why they're circles. You think being a triangle is pretty great. Well, over time, the more time you spend with them, you start to love these circles a little bit. You start to realize that maybe that rhythm of life they've got makes sense. Maybe their choice to put relationship over task is a pretty God-honoring thing. Now, the truth is, as a triangle, you're born a triangle, you're never going to be a circle, doesn't matter how hard you try. But maybe, by God's grace, you can be a hexagon. All of a sudden, you're a hexagon moving in circle world. And you don't really hurt people as often. And life makes a little bit more sense to you. And you start to feel effective where you are. But then one of these days, guess what happens? You pack your family up and you fly back to where? Triangle land. And now you're a hexagon living in triangle land and everybody else's points. They don't, they're not doing it on purpose, but the way they move steps on your toes and, and kind of hurts you a little bit and you're having trouble figuring it out. And the truth is, for having lived among the circles, your little hexagon self is never going to be a triangle fully again. You're going to feel a little awkward. But now here's the thing. That's the grown-ups. And we, we go into this knowing that this kind of, like, sort of knowing this stuff's going to happen. But what about their kids? These are kids that grow up in a false home. They grow up in a hexagon home surrounded by circles with furloughs to triangles. So what do, we, what do we call them? Let's call them stars because that's what they are. Most often, most often we call them TCKs these days, third culture kids. They're third culture kids because they are this third rail culture in between their parents' passport culture and their host culture. And people like this bring such gifts to the table. If you just have eyes to see it, they're world Christians. They wind up seeing people that other people don't see. They invest in people quickly. They they make friends so fast because they know they have to hurry because they've grown up experiencing periods of intense fellowship with people who then move away, who move time zones away after that. Uh, They're great at code switching. One of my favorite stories about my kids, I was sitting in the living room back when we lived in Burkina and I heard one of my sons playing with one of his, one of his French speaking buddies. And I'm talking about this French speaking friend, not our lead minister buddy, his, except when he needs to be pardoned for his French, his French isn't that good. So my friend, my, my, my son is in his room and I go to see which of his friends are in there with him. And I walk in there and it's just one kid. He's playing with Lightning McQueen who speaks English and Mater who speaks village French. And, and, and as he was switching back in this codes, it, it was just amazing to me. This gift that they bring of being able to switch between cultures and to move in different circles is such a gift. 
But it's also something that if they're not careful, they can lose themselves as they switch from culture to culture. And that's where you come in. That is why it is so important as ascending church to know and to understand these, these missionary kids as best as you can. Every chance that you have to love on them and to love them well, that's a part of stepping up and being a better mission-sending church to recognize the gifts that these stars bring to us. They can enrich our lives and we can enrich theirs if we'll just be intentional about it. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we help this wacky missionary mind? I've got a few tips for you. First of all, at the end of church, surround them. Anytime you have someone in your service serving from another place or from another country or somebody that you don't recognize, I think, I think our connections minister would want me to point out that one of the loneliest times in church is when it's all over and everybody stands up and everybody else has plans and you don't. So when you see somebody new, whether they're a missionary or just a guest to our services for the first time, surround them. Let them know that you love them. When it comes to serving your missionaries when they're with you, offer to serve them in unique ways. Get them a sitter for a date night or get them a sitter for a double date. They they, they probably might want to talk to you. Don't assume that they understand basic trends. They don't really understand Waiter, the app, because it doesn't work. They didn't see that Super Bowl ad because the Super Bowl doesn't air. But they do know some pretty cool stuff. From having lived in places like where they live, they've got some things to bring to the table. Did you know that your your missionaries... They live in a city where the inner walls still bear the scars. That's a pretty cool thing. Or they live within they live within spitting distance of that Jesus wrote letters to in the book of Revelation. That's some cool stuff. Ask a lot of questions. Let your missionaries talk and listen well to them. And you might just realize they've got some great stuff to offer, even if their genes are a couple of years out of style. All right, let's talk about the missionary soul now. Three quick words for this. The first of this is delight. Missionaries understand the delight of being squarely in the middle of God's plans for their lives. Now, that's, that's not to say that they always enjoy what they're doing or that they always like the people around or that they never get tired of the food there. Like all of us, sometimes they just have bad days. Very poignantly and with great alliteration, wrote that Landmark helped love and support him through doubts, disappointments, and times of deep depression. Nevertheless, there is a deep abiding sense of our Lord's pleasure when we're doing what he's made us to do. Second thing you need to understand the missionary soul is the word dry. The support system, the mentors, the resources that helped these missionaries become leaders in their own culture such to the point that somebody wanted to send them somewhere else is often yanked away right at the time when they need it the most, and that leaves them feeling dry spiritually. Oftentimes, the missionary soul is very dry. Now, podcasts and videos, these are great resources that have helped, but nothing takes the place of time spent with people that breathe life into you. In fact, one of my very driest seasons of my life occurred while I was on the field. And and I really didn't know how to to bump myself out of this rut. And so I reached out to a friend for counsel. He was an older missionary who'd left the field a long time ago. And he recommended to me that I find a local believer and submit myself to him. And that eventually led me to to many delightful, soul-nourishing afternoons spent under a mango tree in my buddy Basile's yard as he challenged me and prayed for me. And this man, he might not have come out of paganism until he was in his 80s, but the guy could thunder in prayer. And he helped to pray me out of that desert that I'd wandered myself into. 
And so this is the role you can play. Pray for your missionaries that streams of living water would flow in abundance into their souls. Pray that when they seek God, that they'd find him and that they would discover that he's still closer than a brother to them, even when they feel lonely. Finally, the last thing to help understand the missionary soul, you need to understand the importance of discipleship. Now, if you hang around Landmark long enough, you're going to find out that we talk a lot about discipleship. Some might even say we harp on it. But the truth is, discipleship is the ball game. Helping to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus is what all of us, everywhere, all the time, ought to be about. And I think this word discipleship, I think the word itself is probably more intimidating than the actual process. Uh, I'm thrilled about the if gathering that's coming up, and I hope so many of you ladies sign up for this. My bride has participated in an if table. And just to see the growth that's, that, that's happened and just women gathering around a table with intentionality is wonderful. Uh, but it starts with a pretty easy question. What if God's real? What if he means what he says he means? Then what? Buddy's next sermon series is going to be all about ways to experience spiritual growth, things you can help, use to help yourself, but also other people. But here's another easy way to define discipleship, one of the ways that, that's helpful to me. Step one, if you want to be a disciple, is to engage the word, word with a little w. Now, by this, I mean the, the Bible, the word of God. What you do is you read it, and then you read it again, and you discover what it means, and then you go out and do it. It involves an expectation that God wants you to be, in cha- he wants you to be changed every time you encounter his word. And then step two, you follow the word. This is word with a capital W. This is Jesus, as he's referred to in John. You shape your life after him the very best you can. What you ought to do is pray the kind of prayers he prayed. Care about the people and the things he cared about. Surround yourself by the kind of people he surrounded himself by and pour yourself into a few of them. Maybe even giving them access to your life that you don't give everybody else. And finally, go into the world. Take this stuff and go into the world and believe it means you. Now, it might not be across the seas, although I don't think you should just dismiss that possibility outright, but every single believer is called to become more like Jesus and to lead others into a growing relationship with him. All right, and then finally this morning, we're going to wrap up by speaking of the strength of a missionary. The strength of a missionary can be summed up, as Bob Goff puts it, in one word, with. Those first missionaries, those 11 guys who were left standing, staring at the sky on a mountaintop, were left with a job that was impossible. It had zero chance of success, but for the fact that Jesus promised to be with them. A promise that he fulfilled just a bit later in the coming of the Holy Spirit. His promise to be with them changed this devastating abandonment into reassuring eternal presence. The truth is, every one of our missionaries has been sent to do an impossible task. I love, but there's no way in the world that raging Cajun is going to lead students out of darkness and into light on his own. And I love, you want to talk about a discipler? My goodness, the woman is gifted. But no one on their own power could go and change the course of three generations of the same Chinese family. We're talking grandparents, parents, and children. That kind of stuff can't happen if Jesus isn't with you. One of the things that your missionaries bring to the table and that they can offer landmark is that they are daily attempting things that are bound to fail if Jesus doesn't show up. Their stories, their challenges, their encouragements can serve to push us to attempt those kind of things too. And this brings us to our response time. Praise team, you guys can come on up. Um, 
one of the things that I do when I preach, I'm, I'm a fairly scripted guy. I've kind of got the whole thing written out word for word. But this morning, I was really prompted that I needed to change my response time. Um, had some really well-reasoned, thought-out things that, that you can handle in life group later. But I want to talk to just a few of you this morning especially. First of all, to you guests. I want you to hear that Landmark is a church that cares about and embraces the quirks that make each of us us. We spent this whole morning talking about just a few of, of our beloved, of our, of our brothers and sisters that have been sent out from us because we want to understand them and love them. To you guests, I want you to hear something. We want to understand and love you too. We want you to stay and we want to get to know you better. And this whole family together is going to be richer whenever you do decide you're going to add your quirkiness to our quirkiness. And I also want to talk for just a second about a couple of impossible things. Some of you this morning might be sitting there thinking that you've got this notion that there's this impossible thing that God wants you to do. But you just don't think it's going to be doable, which it's not. It's impossible. This morning might be the morning that you need to tell your church family about it and let us pray with you about this. Or there might be an impossible person that God has put on your heart. There may be that, that friend or that coworker or that family member, that spouse, that brother, that cousin that's impossible. When you look at them, there's no way they're ever going to come to love Jesus. This might be the morning when you need to come forward and tell us about it so that we can join you in praying for them. Or finally, the last thing, maybe it's your own salvation that's the impossible thing. Maybe you have been trying your whole life to get right and you just keep making the same mistakes over and over. Well, it's because you don't have the Spirit of God living in you. And so if that's the case, if that's where you find yourself this morning, then we've got a great opportunity. We've got a front row that's just wide open for you to come, confess Jesus as Lord, and be baptized into him and receive his Holy Spirit so that he will forever be with you. If any of this resonates with you, if there's something you want to tell your church family about, then now's your chance as we stand and sing.